Her husband, a career law enforcement officer, died by suicide. And she's here to tell the story. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free and be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. Calling us from the great state of Texas, Sharonda Calderon. Sharonda, thanks so much for calling us today. Very much appreciated. Thank you for allowing me to speak. How are you? It's Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. I'm good, but to be honest with you, this is a subject that is so brutally hard to talk about. We've had quite a few survivors whose law enforcement spouses died by suicide on the show. And me being a retired law enforcement officer, I have gone through this with coworkers, and I still find it very difficult to talk about. And it's difficult to to talk about it. It really is. It is. is. And there's really no, there's no point with saying this. And Sharonda, before we get started, I, I want to say this. We have lots of rules and regulations. We have general orders in our department. What are you supposed to do in the event of a line of duty death? What you're supposed to do in the event of a death notification? How are you supposed to do things? What you're supposed to do, not do, all that stuff. And one of the things I found to be profoundly difficult, whether it be line of duty death or death by suicide, it didn't matter, is if the surviving spouse came near me, I wanted like, claw a, a hole in the wall and get away from them because I was so afraid of saying the wrong thing that I wouldn't say anything at all. I think that's usually what everyone else does because it's it's so uncomfortable and no one really wants to talk about it because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And, and I get that. I, I understand that. The truth but is, actually, I can't say anything that's going to make it worse than it already is. That's That's right. Speaking, saying something, it only helps. I mean, it's especially if it's coming from your heart. I guess just telling someone, you know, sometimes if you can't even say anything, just just hold their hand or a hug. Sometimes that's all that it takes because the person, the family that's that's going through, we're in such a a state of shock and pain that, and you feel and you're completely isolated. You you feel isolated, and and when someone just takes the time to say. I'm sorry, or, you know, I'm thinking about you. That makes a world of difference, at least that was for me. And the truth is, I'm trying to get better at doing that. I use an example. A friend I went to the academy with many, many years ago, he had a son who was a U.S. Marine Corps veteran and a police officer in the county, and he was on a SWAT team, and he was shot and killed. And I went to the viewing. I didn't get to see my buddy, my friend, because he was busy, of course, with all, all the things that go on with that. But we talked on the phone several months later, and I just said, listen, I've been your friend for 30 years. I don't know what to say, so if you want to talk about fishing, we'll talk about fishing. 
if you want to talk about Jason, we'll talk about Jason. But I don't know what to do. I'm just going to be your friend. I'm happy that you did that. I'm sure that meant the world to him. I I'm, I'm guarantee you that it meant the world to him. And we're going to do that with, with you and your story, unfortunately. And there's really no gentle way of putting this. Your husband was a career law enforcement officer, and he, he died by suicide. When was that? My husband, um, he died by suicide June 29th, um, 2018. So that's still very, very recent. Uh, I don't want to come off as if I can understand or know what it feel like, but to be able to talk about this, I don't think, no matter how much time goes by, that it gets easier you might get more used to it, but I don't think it ever gets less painful. It doesn't. It doesn't. You just learn to walk in it. Right? If that makes any sense, you learn to maneuver through it. But the pain is still there, and I think the pain will always be there. That's the scary part of it, because you, you have hope that, oh, I'm going to get over this. But you don't. But you learn to cope. That's the one word that I used to hate to hear was to learn to cope with it. And I couldn't stand cope. But moving months in, I understand what it means now. You you cope with it. It it takes the pain off of it. But the pain is still there. It's still, it's just not as raw. And I'm sure you never thought that this was going to be a situation for you. Never. I, I, I never thought this would happen to my family. Ever. The truth is... This has been going on I, I, in the media now and uh, on social media and on websites like ours, letradioshow.com, you're going to see people talking about this as if it is a new problem. It's not been a new problem. It's a problem. It was a problem before I was a rookie police. I remember reading about it in the 70s. People like Joe Wamba, a retired police officer and, and author, wrote many books some of which became movies. He wrote about it. And we've been sweeping this under the rug for decades. Yes. And I don't know what causes this. I don't pretend to be an expert. I just know what I've talked to with people that have been through this. And so my own experiences that the constant exposure to stress and, and traumatic incidents and things of that nature can have a profound effect on the mental well-being for a law enforcement officer. Was that the case with with your husband, Omar? It was the case. And I also, people forget, everyone on the outside, they forget that law enforcement officers are human, too. Right. The, the uniform doesn't protect them from everyday stressors that anyone else faces. It just, it actually makes it worse because you're expected to not have those those feelings. And it's um, it becomes it's an embarrassment because you have to be the strong one. So you can't talk about it. You can't get the help because if you talk about it and you get the help, you get the help that you need. Potentially, your job is taken away, or no one wants to work with you because they think you're the weak one. So it makes it a lot harder versus someone else versus a teacher that's stressed out. She can go and get some help. Nothing will happen to her job. Even if the principal and everyone knows, they would encourage her to. The police officer, any first responder, you're not allowed to. Because I'll often you become wonder, a liability. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. I see that. I agree with you. That was an issue when I was on the job. 
Apparently, it's still an issue. A lot of agencies are getting much better about it, but not everybody is. But part of it, I think, is also, and I hate to say this, this this isn't to assign guilt, but part of that is something we do to ourselves, that I'm a fixer, I, I help solve people's problems, I'm not a lot of problems, and I will fix this myself. I don't need help. Exactly. That's, you're describing my husband. You're describing Omar. He felt it. He could handle it. That no matter what, I can take care of this. Although my husband, he he um, sought help for it. He he did. He was in the. He was actually in therapy. But it's just one of those breakdowns. And I think it, without going too far into it, you know, it was maybe our situation was a little different. But I don't think so. Meeting other people in my situation, he was getting help, but his department shunned him for it. They basically told him that you couldn't and um, made it difficult. So I think with even that part, he felt it's not going to get any better. And matter of fact, one of his last things that he said, you know, what's the point? On that Uh, note, we're going to take a short break. We are talking with Sharonda Calderon, spouse of a law enforcement officer, Omar Calderon, career law enforcement officer who died by suicide. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. It's free. And get the latest crime and law enforcement news on the Newsbreak app. It's simple, easy, and free. Just download the Newsbreak app. Then search for and follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. Back to our conversation with Sharonda Calderon. Brief synopsis, Sharonda married to a career law enforcement officer named Omar Calderon, and he died by suicide. I just recently learned that's a more appropriate way of saying things. I used to be stuck in the old terminology that we all grew up with that uh, I I didn't know until I started talking to survivors. And by the way, uh, there's a great organization out there called Blue Help. Their website is bluehelp.org. That's the color blue. Help dot org lots of resources and if we have a law enforcement officer right now who's struggling with post-traumatic stress issues active retired first responders veterans are struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder type issues symptoms depression substance abuse all that goes along with it there's help available check out helpforourheroes.com that's helpforourheroes.com great treatment center here in south florida that they have first responders and combat veterans helping first responders and combat veterans with things like post-traumatic stress, depression, substance abuse issues, all that which goes hand in hand. Get all the answers to questions. Go to the website, helpforheroes.com. Before we go into how Omar died, tell us about what kind of guy he was. What you want people to know about Omar. Oh, yes. Omar, he was a very calm, laid-back guy. He was a jokester. He loved to say little jokes, and he was always laughing. There was always something going on in his little mind to make someone else uh, laugh. That was that's just what he enjoyed to do. It was That was who he was. He was a hard worker. He was probably one of those type A. Everything has to, has to be a certain way. And he just enjoyed doing that. He was, he was a kid. 
he that's basically what he was this big kid, always joking, trying to be a little cute with the with with the boys. It's just who he was, and just just laid back, um, so calm. And I think that's what shocked everyone the most because this guy that was always laid back and seemed like he didn't let the world get to him did this. That's what shocked everyone. It did get to him. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the biggest fallacies that people have is that the the happy-go-lucky type people can be as adversely affected as someone who, we have a stereotype in mind that someone is a naturally depressive type person. That's who does this. We don't think it's going to be someone who's one of the givers and is always out for everybody else and is happy in a good mood. It doesn't happen then, but the truth is this sort of stuff affects everybody. Yes. And what happened? I mean, he, he, you said before we went to break that he started trying to get help through his agency. He was in therapy. What was going on with him? A year prior to, um, actually, the year prior to that, he started having mood swings. And quite naturally, no one else saw them, but we're home. So I was able to get him to go see a doctor. It actually took our own primary care physician with me going in with him for us to try to get him some help. Originally, he was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Same, another, um, he went to go get another opinion. He was diagnosed with bipolar. Of course, he couldn't handle this. He felt like, oh, this is absolutely not me. And he felt like the doctors didn't know what they were talking about because two different doctors gave him a different diagnosis. So um, we tried to get him in therapy. He went a few sessions, felt like it wasn't him. Took a few, a few, maybe a few pills. He didn't like the way it made him feel. So he went cold turkey and he was fine. He, for the whole year, he did fine. Started going back into a little slump. His first suicide attempt was um, June to actually October 2017. Prior to that, I knew he was in a bad place because he would open up to me and tell me. So um, he went to work like he was scheduled to go to work. Mind you, this is he wouldn't answer his phone, so I called a job. And I asked him if he was there. Supervisor said, well, he called in sick. Omar never called in sick. He would always go to work. I knew then that something was wrong with him because he had told me he was having suicidal thoughts. So I actually, the department was very helpful then. I was open with them. I told them, hey, we're having some family problems, and he is suicidal. So... They searched for him. They did a bolo for him. They um, all night looking for him. He wouldn't answer the phone. Actually, he knew to turn his phone off so they couldn't ping his line. Um, the next morning, they were able to find him. Actually, the state troopers found him. Um, was able to get him home. He was um, hospitalized for a few days. Got him home. Actually, he was hopeful. That at that point, he felt relieved that the department did know. He was really relieved. We were, it took us a while, even after that, to get him in back into therapy because now we have to go through the insurance on the job, which made it very difficult. Had to get an appointment. It was very difficult. So um, for a few months, we're doing fine. But his department wanted to know 
actually, I'm going to take that back. It wasn't even a few months. A month after he was hospitalized, the department said he had to come back to work. And I begged him. I once worked for the department, so I even knew the supervisors. I told him he's not ready. He told him that he wasn't ready. But they said, you know, you have to come back to work. You know, we're short. You have to get back on it. So we were able to get one appointment in um, to see a psychiatrist, which recommended him to go to a different session. But once he got to work, they switched the shift. So we couldn't go to the appointment. So they told him, well, you just have to burn your time. And when he came to him trying to burn his time, they told him, well, you can't take off because we're short. So we're going back and forth with that. And he's actually going deeper, deeper into depression. Needless to say, not even a good year later, he he took his life. It wasn't it wasn't a year. He asked uh, the yes, his lieutenant, you know, is it possible I can go back to my other ship because I can't make my appointment? And they told him no. And he felt hopeless. He actually told me, so what's the point? He felt, I'm not even worthy to wear this uniform. And um, it was just, he, he was helpless. He was helpless. He was hopeless. And for once, he, he told me he dreaded them knowing what was wrong with him. And um, he felt like no one cared. He said, you're the only one that cares. You're the only one that knows. But they knew, but no one wanted to believe that he was hurt himself. On the day that he was missing, it was on Wednesday, actually, early in the morning, I reached out to the department, and I told them that he was missing. He took, um, he left his phone, his wallet, everything at home, pretty much with instructions of what to do, and he took his service weapon. I told them that I feel that he's going to do with this time because he's given up. We are talking with Sharonda Calderon. I promise you, you don't want to miss the rest of her conversation. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. Whether you're an aspiring podcaster, new or published author, speaker, content creator, visionary, or a dreamer crafting your message, now is your moment to shine. At CreativeCon 2024, you'll discover how to position yourself as an industry leader and leverage podcasting, publishing, production, and promotions to maximize your impact. For those seeking purpose, we'll ignite your storytelling passions and guide you to a more fulfilling path. To secure your tickets for this one-of-a-kind live event taking place at Chicago's Metropolis Performing Arts Center on February 17th and 18th, visit creativecon.com. That's C-R-E, the number 8, T-I-V-E-C-O-N.com. Get your tickets today. The future is yours. Speak it. Write it. Live it. Back to our conversation with Sharonda Calderon. Sharonda's husband, Omar Calderon, was a career law enforcement officer. And another way to put it, he he died by suicide. And this has been a big problem for a very, very long time. Before we went to commercial break, Sharonda, you were talking about the day 
that he went missing. Apparently, you said he left instructions. He, he had his service weapon and was you couldn't find him, correct? Correct. What happened correct. then? I reached out to the department, and I, I told them um, that he, he is suicidal. And I told them I feel that he is actually going to do it this time. The department, they called me and said, okay, we're going to send um, his partner and some of the officers out to your home. They came out, took a report, and they said, well, you need to do a missing persons report. I called our, um, actually, they called our local police agency, filled out a missing persons report. They told me, um, well, we'll look for them. We put a bolo out for him, and if anyone sees him, We'll make sure we, we, we get them, basically like, like before. But I had a feeling I received no phone calls. No one was calling me. No one was texting me. I called the department, the chaplain with the department. I said, this feels different. I said, it feels like no one is looking for him. I said, no one's communicating with me. They said, well, we're, we're looking for him. Well, um... This was on a Wednesday, nothing, no phone calls. Wednesday night, Thursday, it's absolutely nothing. Um, I called the department. I said, well, I need to go and search for him. I need to know if you all are searching. They said, we are. Um, no, you don't need to search. We're searching for him. And um, the local police agency said, well, there's not anything that we can do because we can't really track him down because... We just have a license plate. We can't ping a phone or anything. So we we'll just have to keep looking. Um, we don't need to, you don't need to go to media or anything like that because that may make things worse. So just give them time. And they took the report again. And um, actually, I said um, he was unhappy. So he wasn't unhappy with me. He was unhappy. He's, he's been unhappy. And I was actually trying to cover it up as much so just the little details, but I let them know that I know that he is going to do it this time. And no one really understood. I said, because of the things that he said and the way that he was looking, I just have a feeling. But they assured me we're looking for him. Well, Friday morning, my son said, Mom, the police are at the door. I knew it. I didn't want to believe it. Um, I think I just kind of... When it's a little shock, even then, I, I saw them standing at the door. I didn't want them to even come in. And they told me, well, we found him at the department. He has taken his life. He was at the, was, the, the, the district for the police department where he worked? Yes, he was in the parking lot at the department. And he'd been there how long? He was there three days. He was there on Wednesday. And the the... The part that hurt the most is that they were never looking for him. The bolo was called off. The search was called off for him. An hour after, it was dispatched, and I was told that no one should tell me that they're not looking for him because they felt like, well, maybe they're having family problems, and I'm sure he's just trying to get away, but he was there at the department. I'm by no means an expert when it comes to this stuff. But where I worked in Baltimore, we had a 
a code. You have like 10 codes we use. And when an officer needed assistance, was a really, really bad situation, it was called a signal 13. So if, if I called one on me or the dispatcher called one on me, it went across citywide, all districts, at a unique tone and a signal 13 to give location. And we would literally stop whatever we're doing and, and go through hell and high water to get to that officer and make sure they're okay. And yet, this doesn't seem to be the case with your husband. He was obviously not okay. He was obviously having problems. It was obviously in distress. And the bolo was called off. Yes, an hour after it was dispatched. So when that Wednesday, that Wednesday morning when I spoke with them, an hour after that, and no one told me, which I had the feeling. I, I, I had that, that gut feeling. And I was told that Friday evening after he was found that, yeah, the, dis- the bolo was called off. And they told us not to search for him and not to tell you that it's called off. And I want to defend the, the departments, even though it's not one I work for. That's my first instinct. My first instinct is say, well, it's probably because of this, this, and this. And I can't in this scenario. I just can't come up with any type of justification for not looking for this officer. And by the way, for people who are listening and they think it's unusual that your husband, Omar, I'm I'm not sure what term to use, but died by suicide in the department parking lot. It is not unusual. Quite often when someone is that distressed and in that deep, darker space, whether it be caused by post-traumatic stress issues, depression, whatever it might be. There's a whole triad of things that, that usually accompany these. Quite often, they, the person who dies, will it will be their, their way of saying, and I'm, and I'm trying to say this in as polite ways possible, their way of saying, look what you've done to me, and look what you've done to my family, and they, they put it right in the department's face. And that almost sounds like what Omar did. That's exactly what Omar did. Um, and I guess I need to backtrack just a little bit. Um, before he passed, when he went to his lieutenant to ask, because this was the same week that he died, if he could go back to day shift, the shift that he was on because they removed him from the ship. They didn't have to, but they didn't. Um, if he would go back, that was the week his last diagnosis was PTSD. And I think then was when it actually hit him. I do have problems. That's That was his last diagnosis. And I told him, well, we'll just... Get through this, you'll um, get therapy, and he said, I'm going to go. And I, I actually encouraged him to go back, ask them again, let them know that maybe you can just find one person because they appear to have cared. So he told me that he let her know that, hey, they diagnosed me with PTSD. That's what he told me. And that's so common. Uh, and, and- I've read surveys and studies, and they the conservative estimate that they have now is about 30% of our first responders, about 30% of our active law enforcement are walking around with some degree of post-traumatic stress disorder. I call it an injury. And the, the rates for retirees is even higher because when you leave the job, the last coping skills a lot of them have is being at work with the people they work with, and then they're all by themselves, and they just experience the symptoms all the time. And another problem is for many of them, their marital relationship suffers tremendously. So you add into that work problems, marital problems, substance abuse for for quite a few, not sleeping, and all the 
symptoms that go along with this, it be, can, can become insurmountable for many of these men and women. This is true. And um, the behavior that you just, all the things that you just described, a lot of people, they automatically think, oh, well, they all drink, you know, as, as a coping mechanism or, or, or other behavior. My husband, the way he coped was overtime. He worked nonstop. He would not sleep. And that was one of our arguments. I told him, no, you have to sleep. He refused to sleep because as long as he was at work, he was able to have tunnel vision. I can focus on my job. And not think about it. Yes, and don't think about everything. We're going to take a short break. Don't go anywhere. I promise you, we'll be right back. Are you looking for great products that can be game changers for people, for their physical health, for their overall well-being? Go to letpops.com. That's letpops.com. I take these products. They make a world of difference for me. Better energy. I sleep better every night. Full night sleep every night. Zero leg cramps and more. Many people will tell you about the wonderful things that these products do for them. Plus, it can be a phenomenal business opportunity. You can help people improve their lives and for a very small fee, get a complete back end, complete website, zero inventory, no shipping, none of that stuff. Get full details on our website, letpops.com. That is letpops.com. I'm John J. Welly, joined by Sharonda Calderon. Sharonda's husband, Omar, career law enforcement officer, died by suicide. Post-traumatic stress disorder is an issue, depression, all things go along with that, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. For those who are struggling with those sort of issues, it doesn't have to be substance abuse related. Check out the great program, helpforourheroes.com. Helpforourheroes.com. Get more information there. And if you have questions, believe me, they'll have the answers. Again, the website is helpforourheroes.com. Phenomenal treatment center, not far from us here in South Florida, where first responders, law enforcement, combat veterans help treat combat veterans, military veterans, first responders, law enforcement in a separate, professional, respectful setting. Call 888-991-9725. Go online to helpforourheroes.com. Also get more information at bluehelp.org. That's blue, the color blue, help.org. Sharonda, before we went to break, you said that before the end, and I hate to put it that way, that your husband was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and it's like the rug was pulled out from under him. A lot of things were not going as you think they should when someone reaches out for help and that I'm I'm baffled by the fact that your husband went missing and you knew he was suicidal and, and all the signs were there and you did the right things and you reached out to his department and they did not do the right thing. And that he was there on our parking lot for at least two days. Yeah. And that's just, that's not supposed to be that way. There's nothing about this is supposed to be that way. When you have someone who serves as many years as he did, to, I have to watch my mouth here, 
to have that lack of concern from his own agency? I, I think I think it brought an embarrassment. They felt embarrassed by it. It was a lot easier to say, you all are having family problems. Or, okay, he's drinking. It's easier to say that than to say, okay, we have an officer that, you know, is, is having some problems and it's documented. It's easier to put blame on something else other than what's right there. That was one of the things that no one wanted to talk about. It's easier to portray them as a bad person. Yes. Look at him. He's drinking. He's having domestic disputes with his wife, and he doesn't do the right thing. And, uh, you know, hey, uh, treat him as an outcast. But this, we've had men and women that, that were like altar boys for years. And then after a few years on the job, they were totally different people. Yeah. The irritability, the arguing at home, the not being able to relax. Like you said, his big coping skill was to work, 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 work. Yep, and it, eventually, the the I had a guest on the show a long time ago. They had the best analogy. Said when you get a job as a police officer or a firefighter or EMT or something like that, you're issued a, a state of the art backpack, for lack of better words, and you wear this backpack. And every call you go to, you wind up picking up a stone and putting it in the backpack. Some stones or some calls are really bad. You get big stones. Sometimes they're little ones. And then towards the end, there's that one point where you put the tiniest of pebbles in that backpack and it overloads it and it breaks and the person carrying it falls apart. Yeah. And that sounds a lot like what happened with Omar. That was exactly what happened. And you don't have to tell me all the details because if he was like me, he wasn't going to tell you all the details. Even though you worked for that department before, I wasn't going to tell my wife at the time all the horrible things I went through and saw. But ironically, he's he's fed enough, so I I knew a lot more. So I guess that's why I, and that was one of the things that I battled because I blamed myself because I felt like maybe I talked too much, but I was trying to get him the help that we needed from people that we felt they were higher up, they could help us, but it seemed like it made things harder because maybe once again, they weren't aware or educated enough in it. Um, which one supervisor said, well, you can just shake that off. I've been there. But this is the one thing that you can't shake off, and I want people to understand when you're dealing with any type of illness, disorder, injury, dealing with your emotions, you can't shake it off. You can cover it up, but eventually it's going to get bigger, and everything, everything suffers. Um, I I felt like there was a, a point in time that my husband was purposely trying to make um, others see, actually, just the family, to see him in a negative way, because he, because he, because he felt that way. That was his illness, his disorder, telling him these negative things. And this is a person that his job was everything, and and there's not a, a single coworker they can't say he was not the one to go to. He was he was the go-to guy. He was the one. He loved his job. He loved his family. But something had to suffer. In order for him to be perfect at work, dealing with all these emotions, home life had to suffer. It's impossible to do that, be perfect all the way across. It's impossible. And at home, it wasn't that bad. It was just he was slipping into a deeper and darker, as he called it, the dark hole. That's what he called it. 
that is that's what he called it, the dark hole. And that's uh, probably the best way of putting it. I, I can only tell you, very limited from my own experience, that uh, the best way I can compare this is, is that when you have a an extreme orthopedic injury, let's say you break your arm and it requires surgery to repair it, and that's going to require physical therapy afterwards. There's things that I'm going to have to do, but you can't fix that broken arm by yourself. You can't will it into getting better. And if you don't do the things you're supposed to do, and if the supports are not there to encourage people to do things they're supposed to do to get better, they're not going to. You, you cannot use willpower to fix that problem. Mm-hmm. And something's going to pop. Exactly. And exactly. I, I wanted people to know that, you know, the person that took his life, that, was not, that wasn't my husband. Because... Omar, he he loved himself. Sometimes I felt like a little too much. Yeah. He was just one of those guys. He was, you know, he was a character. So he wouldn't have, he he wouldn't do that. And his family was everything. So he just got to the point to where he couldn't get back up. And he didn't. And yes, there was a doctor that told him this can happen. But he felt like no, not me. Even he had his his um. The way that he viewed suicide, at one point in time, he felt like, okay, that's weak. No one, why would someone do that? Exactly. Think about your family. He he felt that way. Exactly. And I, I felt that way for a long time, too. And I was very judgmental about it. And, and part of, I think, Sharonda, to be totally honest with you, is fear. That yeah. it's something I can't understand. It's something I am not comfortable talking about. So I'm going to shoot away the way a lot of people do. And I'm going to say, oh, that's what weaklings do. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. One of the things that we always say is it it doesn't matter how these heroes died. It's how they lived and how they served. Yes. However, when it comes to death by suicide with law enforcement, all too often it becomes about the manner of death. If you have an officer who is so stressed out that they have a heart attack while they're working, it's not viewed the same way as an officer who is so stressed out and has other issues that dies by suicide, is it? All right, no. And that's part of the reason why we do this. Sharonda Calderon, thank you so very much for your courage and for coming on the show and talking about this. It's very much appreciated. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you allowing me to be here to tell our story so it helps someone else. What is the Newsbreak app, and why should you follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app? Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free, and be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast on the Newsbreak app. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.